I totally understand how this is someone's career because it was just fun and surprisingly easy. At one point in my life, there's the tumor on the screen, and it could be malignant and it could be benign, and that was me. There's some language in this book that I find that very heinous, and I'm repeating the words of Westboro Baptist Church in the book, and I want you to know that this is the language that they've used. Welcome to This is the Author, where authors talk about narrating their audiobooks. In this episode, meet kindergarten teacher Vera Ahia, professor at Monroe Carroll Jr. Children's Hospital at Vanderbilt and the Vanderbilt University Medical Center, Jay Wellens, and journalist David McCraney. Listen in to hear the inspiring stories that led to the creation of their audiobooks. Enjoy! Hi, this is Vera Ahia, the author of Kinder Garden, where kindness matters every day. I was inspired to write Kinder Garden because I feel like there are a lot of children in our classrooms that don't really think they are equipped to manage themselves and their experiences, especially in kindergarten, kind of a child's first start at school. And I really wanted to affirm children anywhere that they are coming with so much already. They are already bringing who they are to the classroom, and that is more than enough. And I really tried in this book to illustrate that, you know, kindness is one way we see this play out, but there are so many ways in which students are already ready for school just by being who they are. If I had to describe what it was like to record my book in one word, that word would be surprising. (laughs) Because I was, you know, I don't have any idea what this would be like. I love audiobooks. We have a very huge listening library in our classroom. Audiobooks are very much a passion for me. I think that it's a great way for students to just have access to books in a different way. And so I just had no idea what I was going into, and it's been completely lovely. I totally understand how this is someone's career because, A, you get to just, like, read books over and over, but, B, it was just fun and surprisingly easy, I think. You know, I did add in names of students that I think are not typical. So my goddaughter, her name is Sochi, or well, we call her Sochi. Her name is Sochil. And that's, you know, a name that not everyone is familiar with. So I wanted to be sure that students and educators were kind of confronted with honoring somebody's name. And there is no back matter that shows you how to pronounce some of these names correctly. So teachers or educators, parents, caregivers will have to do a little work to make sure that Sochil's name is pronounced correctly, Reynaldo, Lanisha. There's a lot of names in there that I think are Maybe not typical, but, you know, might take a little work. For me, any word with an I-N-K gets very Texan. If I wasn't going to record my audiobook, I would cast Elvis Costello. I really love his singing voice and his talking voice. And I don't think people listen to him often, so I think that would be a fun one to hear. I also like... 
Phyllis Diller. She has a great voice. I don't know if she has a good reading voice, but I feel like she has a great voice. Well, the last audiobook I listened to and loved was The Underground Railroad. It's a hard-hitting one. Yeah, that one wasn't, I mean, it was a great book. It's not a pickup. It's not a joyful book in any sense. It was a good book, though. I love to listen to audiobooks while I commute to work. I take public transportation, and it's a great way to kind of just have my own time, pop in my headphones and turn on a book. I get to escape a little bit before I have to go to work. And now, listen to a clip from my audiobook. This is Leo. Leo is quiet. He likes to read in quiet play games in quiet, even dance in quiet. He likes to talk to his mom and dad, papa, grandmommy, and tulip. But Leo likes to be quiet with everyone else. Today, Leo is worrying about his first day of kindergarten. Why is Leo worried? Because a letter just arrived from his new teacher. Hi, this is Jay Wellens, author of All That Moves Us, a pediatric neurosurgeon, his young patients, and their stories of grace and resilience. Well, I wrote this book because in the work that I do over the last two decades and kind of walking the journeys with these families, you just learn about their stories and you live their stories with them. And not only do you live their stories with them in as much as you can, as the surgeon, but you see a great deal of grief that turns to joy or hope or resilience. And it's really remarkable. You know, at one point in my life, there's the tumor on the screen and it looks like it involves this, that, and the other. And it could be malignant and it could be benign. And that was me. It wasn't me saying it. It was me hearing it. It was an existential threat. And I remember being scared. And I remember thinking about some of the children and their parents that I'd cared for. And I remember thinking about how frightened they must have been. And I began to focus on a way for me to have that same sense that I would move through it, that there would be another side to it. And I felt very fortunate to, you know, have shared the experiences with these folks. You know, I was kind of going at warp factor nine for a long time with my career. And it was my sister who said, you know, you should write down some of these stories that you've been telling us from time to time. And obviously I wouldn't use names. And so I wrote one up and it got published and it was kind of a funny story. And, you know, I got emails from folks saying, you know, hey, you're a funny writer. And the editor said to me, you know, I know that, you know, you're a pediatric neurosurgeon. I'm sure you have some serious stuff. Let's let's see what else. And so I sent in another piece. And the response from that was really remarkable from hundreds of people around the world that just gleaned a lot of hope from it. And it was kind of right when the pandemic was starting to come across the land. I think there was a lot of concern and people were frightened. And I really realized that Man, these children and these families, you know, there's such resilience and there's such 
hope that they display and looking back at their stories. And, you know, not all stories have a happy ending. Some don't. But the reality of moving along these paths with people and getting to this place, I just felt like these were stories that needed to be told. You know, this existence in neurosurgery and in pediatric neurosurgery kind of goes from, you know, great highs to great lows and back again. And I thought it was important that folks have a chance to see that there is kind of light in the darkness. If I had to describe what it was like to record my audiobook in one word, that word would be fun. It was really fun to have an opportunity to read this. And I envisioned different people that I was reading uh, All That Moves Us too. you know, various friends or family members that were nearby and listening or residents that I'd trained or some of the patients too. I remember thinking to myself when I read about some of the children that, that we'd written about, that was really for them, kind of mentally dedicated it to them as we moved through it. So it really was fun. I enjoyed it. I realized I had trouble pronouncing irritative. I went irritative, 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 and then irritative. And it was irritative that I didn't know how to pronounce irritative, but now I do. I'm proud that I was able to move through the stuff about my dad because, you know, anytime you talk about family and memories, it can be hard. I'm proud that I was able to get through that and tell that part of the story. It's just part of the story, but it's an important part. It helps put in context these experiences that I've had and these journeys that I've had the chance to walk with these patients and their parents. If I wasn't going to record my audiobook, I would cast, I guess it would have to be somebody with a slight Southern accent. So, I mean, I guess it could be, all right, all right, all right, I'm a pediatric neurosurgeon. I mean, it could be Matthew McConaughey. He's a great actor and he'd do a terrific job. So probably Matthew McConaughey. The last audiobook that I listened to that I loved was Becoming by Michelle Obama. I mean, it's just an amazing story of her life and their experience and just a phenomenally historical part of our time. I would also say that I have a wonderful memory of listening to the one and only Ivan with my family as we traveled cross-country, and we would just stop and get gas, and I would make the kids stop playing it, and then we would all run inside like we were crazy and going as fast as we could to get candy and various things to get back to the car so that we could continue to listen to it. It's a wonderful memory for our family when our kids were a little younger. I love listening to audiobooks while I'm driving. My wife, Melissa, was really the one that uh, got us to start listening to them in the car as a family. And as the kids got a little older, the books would get a little more mature. Nothing too mature, I might add. Our kids are still teenagers. But it was good to be able to have a family conversation. You know, when you read a book or when you're listening to an audiobook by yourself, there's one tremendous benefit to that, and that is you you know, or spending time doing something that you love. But when you're listening to it with other people in your family, it's like an automatic book club as you go. And you stop and you talk about it. What do you guys think happened here? What do you think is going to happen next? So that's really one of the um, things I love about listening to audiobooks is that it can be a shared experience.
And now, listen to a clip from my audiobook. By the second day after surgery, Delayla was sitting up in bed, cracking jokes with her family. The next day, she had the nurses in our rounding team laughing at nearly her every word. She held on to a ukulele and threatened to play it unless we would do some task of her choosing, like change her lunch order to all ice cream or bring her comic books to read. Her resilience and remarkable spirit in the aftermath of such a profound surgery inspired all of us in our work. Hi, my name is David McCraney. I am the author of How Minds Change. I was inspired by, and this is difficult to really pin down, I was doing so much material for You Are Not So Smart, the podcast, and I'd already written You Are Not So Smart and You Are Now Less Dumb, these books about biases and fallacies and heuristics, that if there was like a, a thesis, mostly the thesis is you're unaware of how unaware you are and you're the unreliable narrator in the story of your life. And I was doing lectures and was doing all these interviews and presentations and people started to ask as the sort of conspiratorial stuff was bubbling up in public discourse, the elections were coming up and Brexit and all these other things are happening, all pre-COVID stuff. People were wondering, how do I solve these arguments I'm having with family members? How do I reach out to people and change their minds? I'm having arguments on the internet. It was really starting to become part of the public consciousness. And to my great shame, I often told people, you can't. You really just can't change some people's minds. And I remember someone specifically asking me that once about some birtherism stuff going on in their family, and they just were having all these arguments with their dad. And I just told them you would have to figure out a way to compartmentalize that. And it just didn't sit well with me, honestly. I felt like I was giving out bad advice, and that was lingering inside me. And then the same-sex marriage laws and discourse changed so rapidly around me. And a lot of people I cared about were part of that. And I thought, I'm telling people you can't change people's minds. And then this entire country changed its mind. It felt like in the course of just a couple of years. And I just needed to understand what was going on. But I didn't want to understand it from a political science perspective or even a sociological perspective. I wanted to understand what was happening in people's brains. Like, what is it like to feel one way in one decade and another in another? Can you see that difference? Can you understand that difference? Are there scientists who understand this? And the more I got into it, the more I realized this is a huge world that I couldn't find any book out there that had addressed it in a way that I wanted to understand it or that I wanted to read it or that I wanted to connect to it. And right about then, the deep canvassing hit the public stage through the New York Times, the people that I talk about in the book who go door to door and change people's minds very quickly on wedge issues. And they had successfully changed minds all over California about same-sex marriage leading up to Prop 8 and after Prop 8. And I was like, wow, here's some people who go even further than this. They're changing minds at people's front doors in 20 minutes on topics that, for me, feel intractable or that are part of a debate that's happening right now on the internet and in punditry that I thought was an impossibility. And I just felt like I needed to go out there and spend time with them. And I did. I flew out there and I met with them and canvassed with them. And that's when I was like, yes, this is a book that I really want to create. But instead of writing it from research papers, instead of writing it from straight from interviews, I want to do it on the ground. I want to go to places where people are changing their minds, meet people who have changed their minds in drastic ways, and tell the story in an arc where you start with me. We don't actually know the answers until we get to them in the course of the story. And by the end of the book, there's an authoritative voice and you get answers to everything. 
It doesn't start that way. And I'd never done a book like that before. And it was just great from top to bottom to do it that way. Grueling, difficult, but now I feel like that's how I'd like to write going forward. If I had to describe it in one word, it would be grueling if I was going to say the first thing that came to mind. It was like a, some weird Rorschach test thing. But I actually feel so good right now. I feel incredible. And the word that's popping in my head now is, and I know this is going to be a very soft, cloudy word, but this is what I'm feeling, nourishing. I realized I had trouble pronouncing penze. I have read that word many times over many years, and I thought it was pinsies for so long. I may have even said that to someone at some point, and if they knew how to pronounce it, they were very nice to me and just let it slide. But now I know it's not pronounced that way. Pinze? Even now, even now, please don't take this audio out. Keep this in. Ponze. See, this is what it feels like. <laughs> I promise in the book it's pronounced properly. I'm proud that I was able to shift the way that I delivered certain sections to match what it felt like in that moment when that, that part of the book was either being written or I was experiencing the part that I was writing about. And some parts, when we're deep in the science, I'm trying to keep a very modulated, I want you to understand this, let me articulate this and go at a pace that makes sense. But there are other places where I was reliving it as I was going through it. And some of these things really still are with me in a way that would probably never leave me. I think the part that will stick with you most about what was like, not just difficult, but I'm very proud of, strangely, was there's some language in this book that I'm very opposed to in general, or that I find that very harmful and heinous. And I'm repeating the words of Westboro Baptist Church in the book, and I want you to hear them. I want you to know that this is the language that they've used. And in presenting that as we were recording, I'm going to feel it coming up in me now. I had a very close personal friend who, he was a... Uh, a gay man who really wanted to be married and passed away from a pancreatic cancer before any of these changes took place in our society. And I just felt like I was saying these words. I feel that it's in me right now. I'm having a hard time with this right now. I was, I was, I felt like I was saying those words to his face and I, we had to take a break so that I could get back through that again. So we say very plainly in the audio that, you know, I'm opposed to these things and I'm saying them to you for these purposes, but it's something that'll stick with me for a while from this experience. If I wasn't doing the audio, I absolutely want Christopher Walken to do this. I mean, why would anyone, like, minds change. <laughs> like, like, today we're going to understand persuasion. Like, that's exactly who I would pick. And I would take whatever reading he did. If not him, Jeff Goldblum, maybe, just to see how much time he wasted in pausing and how much the audio editors would take out pauses or leave them in. I'm interested to know how you would deal with somebody like that. And uh, I know I'm answering three people, but obviously third choice if those two individuals are unavailable, Matthew McConaughey, come on. I just want him to scream and then run around and, <laughs> and, and kick over the microphone stand over and over again while he's trying to explain science to us. If I'm not doing commuting, especially over like COVID times, we weren't doing as much commuting. It was cooking, laundry, that sort of thing. Always, that's when the audiobooks pop in. The last audiobook I listened to on a road trip to North Carolina was Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. And I honestly had to stop it every once in a while because I had to pay attention to the road. And it's difficult when he is, you can't believe that he is saying what he's saying and you can't believe he's saying it the way he's saying it. And I couldn't help having this meta level thing of, I can't believe there were people watching him through glass and <laughs> deliver this. And they had to like answer emails after that and like go home and like 
make a sandwich. How do you do that after Matthew McConaughey <laughs> is telling you about fighting a puma between, you know, movie sets and stuff? So that's the one that I recommend. If you're new to audiobooks or you even you love them, either way, this is the one you should check out. So how about you listen to this clip, this piece of audio, this snippet, this portion of the audio from How Minds Change. I wanted to meet Charlie because when he was making a living as a professional conspiracy theorist, he had done something incredible, something so rare and unusual that before I started this book, I thought was impossible, something that had nearly ruined his life. It all began in June 2011, just ahead of the 10-year anniversary of 9-11, when Charlie boarded a British Airways flight at Heathrow Airport bound for the United States and ground zero. This is the Author is a production of Penguin Random House Audio. Thank you for listening. For more behind-the-mic content and audiobook recommendations, visit www.penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash next listen.